Hi, you guys. This is a Q&A episode because you guys loved the last one that I did. We're covering mainly topics about the erotic and using sex magic for wealth creation, as well as the junction of spirituality and business. We talk about feminism and free birthing at the end. We cover all kinds of topics on this. I hope you enjoy. And if you have questions, send them to mommy at mommyonami.com and I will do my best to answer them on the next podcast. I'm showing up with consistency for these for at least a little while so you can find me Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern on TikTok Live and YouTube Live doing this podcast. Love you. Going to start putting Q&A on my podcast because you guys love to listen to it. I looked at all the stats and uh, my podcast, The Intuitor, is about pop culture, but we use it as a vehicle for deep inner work. So, you know, while it might be hard for you to talk about your own daddy issues, it's really easy for us to talk about Lily Rose Depp's daddy issues. And then you realize that Lily Rose and you were actually doing the same exact thing. And that's how we use Celebrity Scandal to do our own deep inner work. Uh, but I did put a Q&A episode up on there one time and you guys were all about it. So we'll see if you guys also want to catch the replays of this. You can either get it for free on my app, you can get it on my YouTube, or you can get it on my podcast, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. So there was no questions from Safe House this week, which is always a happy day for me. I'm still kind of on the fence on if I want, you know, Safe House is your opportunity to stream all of my workshops together, but every single workshop is a magical process and you really, really, really want to finish a magical process. It would be way better to do that two week free trial and blitz through a whole workshop like Wheels Reinvented than it would be to start a bunch of them because then you have these half cooked magical processes, you know, going around in your head and and that's never good. So let's do our first question. Hi, Onami. Hope you're enjoying Mexico City. Thank you. It was fun. My kids were sick the whole time though. I think they got COVID. Like we got to the park and all the kids were sick and then my kids were immediately sick and we had to cut our trip a little bit short and kind of just stayed in the apartment the whole time because the kids were sick. But I am curious as if you have any tips for someone for how someone might measure their progress while taking this course, especially in these learning stages when tangible results like money are not coming in yet. So thank you so much for your question. And this is going to be true across all of my non-beginners workshops because these are all magical processes. So you, when we use the Enneagram to accomplish a goal, the upside of it is that we aren't doing anything extra, like we're not doing anything that would not directly create a result. The downside is that every step has to be completed in that order. And when you try to do things out of order, it just, you end up having to start all the way again from the beginning. And I have so many data points on this, like it just gets so sloppy. So the first part of every Enneagram going from point zero, which is at the top of the triangle, to point five, which is the point of motives detention all the way over here, that's really all laying the foundation. So you would not be able to do sex magic with yourself if you didn't like yourself. You also would not be able to launch a product if you didn't have a concept, like a built to last concept that you could launch. You would not be able to scale the business if you didn't know how to delegate. And these things like, and I'm very clear from the beginning, it's like you will not even start seeing the glimmer of the paycheck from this is until you're all the way over here. Point five 
is like the hinge where we go from laying the foundation to actually like receiving the gifts. But the full realization of the gift, like it's all promise until you get to the final point here. And I'm telling you this, absolutely. This was a tenth, we're lifting off something very big. If it's a business that's going to come and go like a little firework, like, yeah, you could throw that together in two weeks, but it's going to embarrass you. It's 100% going to embarrass you. And so the question for me is like, how would someone measure their progress with this course if it's not money, if I'm not seeing a money result just yet? But this is really more of a question for you is like, how are you measuring your own success? Because if you're measuring your own success just in finances, that's eventually going to disappoint you. And every entrepreneur realizes this at some point. Like, for example, every entrepreneur has that goal of like, I want to make a million dollars, but the only reason they want to make a million dollars is so that that they can prove to their family that they're legit and they were right to drop out of college. And, and it's not about a million dollars, like a million dollars isn't even that much money. Um, um, it's about like impressing your family. And it's, it's, it's also, you can notice this when people are like, I make a million dollars versus like my business makes a million dollars. It's very much this like personal oriented, like unfulfillment thing. And I get it because, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be care, care about the money because I'm very like money oriented. This is one of the ways that I measure success, but I have had to learn how to see, especially when you're growing a business, growth mode is a lot better for you than profit mode, but profit mode is where we feel like we could show the world like, see, I did it. Look how much money I have. And But when you're growing, the business is growing and the long-term results of what you get from growing in this way will pay you way more than the immediate profit ever would. And this workshop about sex magic and wealth creation together, like the symbol of sex magic is delaying the instant gratification for the long-term reward and for not being like, okay, I just want a product this way, you know, so I can make a little bit, so I can make eight grand on this product and then I can never do it again because energetically it was all off and it wasn't built to last and I'm going to have to file for bankruptcy. I'm going to have to cancel this one anyways. Um, like we don't want to do that. A lot of us have already done this. A lot of us have burned down our first businesses because they were so unsustainable. But if you haven't been there yet and you are taking this course, I'm so happy for you because you will be able to avoid that and have a business that's built to last from the, from the very, very beginning. And you'll be able to like go behind this curtain of autoerotic wealth, which you can try for free at the safe house free trial in my bio. You can try this workshop totally for free. Um, but where you can go behind the scenes and build something that's really good and then reveal it at the end. So you will start to see the glimmer of your paycheck at point five, hinging on point six is where you'll start to see the customer. Point seven is where you give them the offer. Point eight is when you look over the data and be like, okay, cool, this wasn't a million dollar launch here, but now that I have these data points, I know how much I'll have to spend in advertising or what I'll have to do next with an affiliate system to be able to get those numbers that I want. And then we go to the next level over here. So how can you measure success so far? Let's just go over what we've done in laying the foundation. We started off with the decision, and this was the one that you guys all did for free. We started off with the decision that you absolutely want to raise the standard of your life, that you absolutely want to deepen your connection to yourself, that you absolutely want to make more money. That was key because for a while you were just like, you know, nothing mattered. Then we had that clear intention of how it is that you want to make this happen. And that was also very key because it's all a dream until we actually put some 
meat on those bones. And I'm going to focus just for time's sake. I'm going to focus a little bit more on the wealth side of this and not review what we did. I mean, I guess I can if I re- <laughs> if I remember. Um, then we went over to the auto erotic. Then we went over to the point where we're collecting our tools. And when we set that intention, we looked into the future and we really, and this is something that you haven't done before is really thought about all of the things that would make this business successful. Usually we have an intention and we're like, oh, cool, I'm going to build this thing. But we don't think about what the limitations are. We don't think about the additional education that we're going to need to accrue. We don't think about how to retain the customer. We put the cart before the horse and we go immediately into point five where we make the most expensive thing first. And then we end up having to do the whole thing over again because we didn't market research it first that's the most common thing is making 0.5 0.1 because you don't know that it's supposed to arrive later in the game and then we thought about what the irresistible offer is and that's just what we did in lesson one of wealth and we also did that on the erotic side of you looking forward and seeing you know what kind of relationship that you want to have when all of this is done then we collected our tools and the zone of genius is the most crucial because you could really easily build a business from the very beginning that has you spread way too thin that has you thinking that you cannot handle the amount of business that it's going to require to make the money that you want to make. And so getting into the zone of genius and realizing what it is that you want to focus on, because the intention was just the intention, but does it make economic sense? We also audited all of the projects that you're doing because so many people have their like essential oil companies that make absolutely no economic sense, that the shipping of it, that after they run the numbers, it's like you don't make any money on this product and there is no way to source it for scale. Like you're foraging all of these ingredients yourself, spending all of your time and all of your money on something that is never going to be profitable for you. And we have to pivot. So we looked at our zone of genius and we got really clear about what is working and what doesn't work so that we can focus on that. These next three ones are Hopefully somebody that is brand new to business can appreciate how important this is, but it might only really click for somebody who has failed in business before and is like, oh my God, I never had this strategy. Like, of course it was never going to work because I never had an actual strategy. I was just like, I'm a teacher. Like who wants to buy from me? And it's a fucking shit show. So we identified our hedgehog concept and the hedgehog concept trims off all of the things that would just be a waste of your time, a waste of your money, and never scale. We trimmed off all of these and got really, really clear about what it is that you can do. And then we set a flywheel into motion. Now, the flywheel is your first, like, it's your five and 10 year strategy. This is working with a product that's built to last. It's not as gratifying as launching some flaccid little shit product that's going to make you 3,500 bucks one time and you can never repeat it and you have to reshoot it over and over again. Like that type of instant gratification is only appealing to somebody who is still trying to impress people they went to high school with. Like this is somebody that is not in the room with other business people. And usually like when you're at this stage, you have the ego of somebody that's running 12 companies when actually like you couldn't even have a conversation conversation with somebody that's been in business for more than five years, because every single thing that you're saying gives away that you just quit your job two months ago and you're fucking scrambling and hustling and waiting for somebody to save you. Like all of it, you know, somebody for you to go viral or for the press opportunities to happen. Like 
This is, you have to have a concept that only you can do that makes economic sense for you that you're really passionate about. And then we need to put that into a flywheel so that you could see how your business could become self-sustaining and not just you'd be like tap dancing for fucking money for the rest of your life. We don't want that. So we do the flywheel and this is how we're measuring success is like, are you thinking more strategically about your business? Are you feeling like there is something that you can do? And yes, it's going to be a lot of long, hard work, but like this shit would actually work if you focused on it, that this could feed itself and regenerate itself and create more and more income for you and get stronger every time. That's the thing about a magical process. It's a wheel that's in motion. It's a snowball effect. So yeah, it's hard to get this thing turning, but once we get it turning, it will keep turning without you having to be the fucking hamster in the wheel making it go. And that's what that first embarrassing stage of business is, is you desperately running like a hamster in that fucking wheel, trying to make money off of your spiritual gifts without studying the language of money. It would be like trying to make money your boyfriend, but he speaks Turkish and you are making zero effort to speak their native language because you're like, I love them, but you actually don't care. You want them to love you, but you don't want to speak their language. You want them to shower you with all of the things, but you don't even want to try to communicate them with them in the language they speak. And yeah, nobody that doesn't speak French wakes up suddenly able to speak French unless you have like a really successful aneurysm that that creates that. Um, I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't count on it. But you can learn if you practice. So learning the language of money is just learning a a new language. But you won't expect to be fluent after the first lesson. And if you're serious about business, you will see every little piece of this information, especially the ones like the hedgehog, especially all of them. Knowing how to look ahead of time as a creator, knowing how to do the zone of genius. This is something that you will do every three to six months for the rest of your life in business as you constantly learn how to take things off of your plate so you can focus on what it is that you're good at. In addition to that, the hedgehog, the flywheel, after that, we'll do an internal and external assessment so you can really see how you're positioned in the market. Then we put it onto an Enneagram and then it's ready to present to the public. There is no fucking ways that I would let you after, it doesn't work from a magical perspective. It would be an embarrassment to you. It would be an embarrassment to me as your teacher to be like, yeah, I get my fucking students all hyped up about some dream that they're going to create. And then I'm like, yeah, now go share it with the world. When it's fucking unfiltered, untouched, doesn't make economic sense, is slapped together, is based on what you think the fucking value of it is, has no positioning in the market, has no relevancy to the customer. It would be an embarrassment for me to be like, yeah, I trained her. She burned out in fucking four months. No ways. No ways. So to close all of this out, and that's just what we've done so far. But to close all this out, the the best way that you can know that your manifesting is working is to feel like the person you are is changing. And if the person you are is changing, then you are thinking different. Neville Goddard says that like, in order to change your reality, you have to change who you're being. But if you have to change who you're being, you have to change who you're, how you're thinking. And in order to change how you're thinking, not, which is the, it's the first step for all of this to change, is there has to really be a burning desire to be different, 
to not have someone come and save you and be like, I'm going to pay all of your bills from here on out. I'm going to take care of that debt. But to actually be somebody who is like, who you're in love with, that you're like, I fucking save me. I save me. Whatever it is, whatever life that I want to have, I'm going to create it for myself. Shoes on my feet, I bought them. Clothes I'm wearing, I bought them. Whatever it is that you want, you can get it for yourself. And no matter how hard anything seems, you're like, yeah, I know that I'm at base camp now, but magic is just spending more time on something than anyone else would reasonably expect. Therefore, I will accept that I'm at a beginner's phase. I will accept, just like I did in lesson one, that it's going to be a long, hard road ahead, and I will get studying like we did in point two. And then I'm going to reach point three where I feel like nothing is working and is this actually working and maybe I should just quit because it's all too hard. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. You're a woman. You have superpowers. You're a man. You're strong. You know all about developing strength through persistence. Persistence is absolutely, without a doubt, what is lacking most in society. And when you see somebody that is truly great, it's because they have an excess of persistence. Not genius, not likability, not good looking, not smart, fucking persistent, does not give up is like, yeah, I will launch this and relaunch this. I will do whatever the fuck it takes to make this successful. If my kid came up to me and was like, I want to have a best-selling book, I would say, I will not rest until it's a best-selling book. If my fucking boyfriend was like, I want to do this, I said, I will not rest until we make it successful. So why are we giving up so fucking quickly on ourselves? You'll fucking join some brand new restaurant, some brand new startup, work 80 hours overtime, making sure that everybody knows you're the hardest working person in the room. And then when it comes to you, it's like, eh, I just don't really see the potential. If you don't give a shit about you, no one's going to give a shit about you. And if you don't give a shit about your business, nobody's going to give a shit about your business. And if you don't have a business, you will never control your own paycheck. All businesses can tank. You can be replaced by AI. All of this shit could go away. But when you do it for yourself, nothing can take this away. Nothing can destroy this. And if you are starting to think more strategically about business with no delusions about how easy you think it should be, just because you're pretty and spiritual doesn't mean it's not going to be grueling, hard, challenging work for the rest of your fucking life. But you didn't come here to lay on your back and be pampered. No, you came here with a mission. You better walk into every room like God sent you there because it did. But it didn't send you there to sit down and pretend that you're fucking talentless and to shrink. There's nothing spiritual about shrinking. Business is hard work. And business is a part of spirituality. I have thought, because I have so many people all the time being like, yeah, I'm just not really interested in the business side. Then I'm not really interested in you. Because you're not going to do anything with this spiritual work. You're not going to heal anybody else. It's all personal, personal, personal. It's all about you. Oh, I just want to feel better about myself. I just want to do this. You don't want to heal anybody. I work with people that are not just inspiring, but inspire others. I'm not going to invest my time and my energy into someone that's not going to do anything with it. And if you are not studying the business tools, you're not going to do anything with it. And you know what's worse? You're going to forget about all of this in like three years because you never shared it with somebody else. So you never mastered it and it'll wear off 
It'll be like a BBL that you didn't work to maintain. I'm not interested in that. I don't give two shits if people want to study business or not. I will not teach you unless you plan on teaching others. I train teachers. This is what I do. This is my legacy. This is my impact. And you need to study the business tools. So if you are starting to think different, if you are starting to think about what is it that I can absolutely be the best at? What is it that I absolutely love? How does this work in the market? What does my customer need to hear to be a customer? Then you are changing. Then you are changing, which means that all of your manifesting is working, which means that that vision that you have on the back of your phone, like we did in the first lesson, has an actual shot of manifesting because of you, not because your perfect person showed up and saved you. No, you saved you. And this is what success looks like. And this is what ecstatic bliss looks like. This is not what instant gratification looks like. But what are you, 15? We don't need instant gratification anymore. We feed ourselves. We supply ourselves with what we need to feel like we've got it going the fuck on. So that's how we're measuring success. And be very, very grateful that you can do this behind the scenes as opposed to releasing that very crappy, flaccid product that you didn't want to spend time working on because you wanted to see instant gratification right away. That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing to you. For autoerotic lesson two wealth, is there a realistic time frame we should keep in mind when setting our financial intention? This is such a good question. A lot of people's financial intention will be, you know, it's very rare that I meet somebody that makes a financial intention that's that's based on the things they could sell right now to reach that. So for example, somebody's like, I want to sell a product for $7. I want to make a million dollars off of it. And I have 150 people on my Instagram right now. I haven't done market research. Um, But that million dollar mark is like usually people's first goal. And there are no unreasonable goals. Like there's no unreasonable goals at all, but there are unreasonable expectations. I mean, unreasonable timelines. And so you will get there eventually a hundred percent. So for example, I wanted, my intention was to make erotic wealth, like a $1 million product, but this round, it was not a $1 million product. And I'm super happy about that because there's so much homework to check every week that if I had more people, I would just be like, <gasps> it was the same with the Enneagram. Like if I had more than 50 students, I would just be completely inundated because there's so much homework to check. But that small group created a really good first round. And now the people that take it in the future have all of these data points, all of these Q&As, all of these things that help them to be able to do it on their own without my lifetime. So for the first round of autoerotic and erotic wealth, we didn't run any ads. A little bit here and there to just see if TikTok ads, ads even worked, like $700. But we didn't have a ad, we didn't have an ad strategy or anything like that. So without a system in place to create a million dollars on that workshop, like it just wasn't going to happen. But I didn't want to put that in place because I knew that it was going to be a lot of homework. And I don't like to, I don't like to overlaunch something that is on its maiden voyage because sometimes you don't even really know what it is until you see the results that everybody got. Like there's a projected result and what we have from the case studies. But once you walk a group through it, it's a new level of mastery and you really see where people need extra focus and extra attention. You know, sometimes you realize that 
you need to add a whole new Q and A and for it, and and that, and then you would charge for it differently, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't like over launching or putting too much ad spend on something on its maiden voyage, but for its second voyage, like you can really go hard on that. So it will make a million dollars eventually, and that's really what we're doing at point eight is seeing. Like I'll, I'll show you guys exactly how to look at conversions and exactly how to look at your data to understand how you can get the result that you want to get. So for example, if I want to, my BHAG and my flywheel was selling a million copies of Wheels Reinvented, pretty simple for me. If I want to sell a million copies of Wheels Reinvented, I just need like an absolutely irresistible offer and I need to get that in front of 10 million people. So with a 10% conversion rate, which is pretty high, but if the offer is irresistible enough and the positioning is right, if 10 million see the if 10 million people see the offer and it's an offer that can't be resisted, then 1 million of them will buy. And it's really not that hard to put these things together. If I'm keeping 40% of my book royalties, that's $7 million if I sell 1 million copies of the book. But I'm actually not, I don't care about the money side of it as much as I care about getting the tools for holistic mental health into everybody's hands as quickly as possible. So that is just, you know, simple math. And then you don't have any delusions or you don't have like a, you know, you're not just like pumping money into ads and hoping that it works. You're like this amount of investment should equal this amount of results. And so that's what we're doing at point eight. And so many spiritual entrepreneurs are just like, yeah, I don't know the data. I'm so bad at it. That's an old story. That's an old story. Do you want to be doing this work for the rest of your life? Do you absolutely love what you do? Do you want to not have to have, do you want to parent with your significant other if you have kids or when you have kids? Or do you want them to be working fucking 40 hours a week so you can do your little hobby of spiritual work? Like, wouldn't you like this to be something that would allow you to go wherever you want, do whatever you want? Even if, and, and, and just know that you could have the life that you want without needing anybody else's compliance or permission. Like that, that shit's dope. So no time frame. And when we get to the line, it's, we, we want to go and we don't want to build, we want to build a million dollar product from the very beginning. So setting that super high intention is like, if this is a million dollar product, like what would it need to have? What would it need to not have so that we can do our absolute best? And that's all along the white magic line of will. You can learn more about the three types of magic when you go to the front page of my site. But we want to look at on, on the white line, we're doing all of, we're doing our absolute best. We're making it the absolute best we can have with the expectation that it's going to make a million dollars. Then we go on the black magic line, which is where we are now as a group where it's like all of your fears about like, is this overpriced? Am I educated enough? Is this platform up to snuff? Where we really absorb all of these fears. Fears are not to be discarded. That's just that like white magic, kundalini yoga, fucking Abraham Hicks, idiotic. We're not idiotic, incomplete incomplete way of thinking where you're like, all hope is useful. All fear must be discarded. And magic, we don't throw away anything. God didn't put things on earth for us to throw it away. Like there's a use for everything. If you're genuinely afraid that your product is overpriced and you do market research, you're like, shit, now I got to lower the price. And that's great because if you have to lower the price then you have to lower the offering, we love a limitation around here. We love a limitation around here. So but along the black magic line, we navigate all of our fears. And then we enter the red magic line. And the red magic line is surrender. So we say, okay, God, I've done my absolute best. I've taken into account the market. Now it's time for me to bring it to the market. Bring me who you would have me serve. And I completely surrender the results because it will make a million dollars eventually. It'll make way more than a million dollars eventually because now it's built to last. 
If it was something that you just threw together and it underperformed, you wouldn't be able to repeat it. It wouldn't be on a wheel. It wouldn't be a system. It wouldn't fit within the context of your five and 10 year business plan. There wouldn't be a flywheel attached to it. You wouldn't be able to associate this specific part of your journey with the greater context of the mission that you're here to complete. It would just be like, it fizzles out. You're like, I put all of my work into this project and then only five people bought it. I'm a failure. Let me go back and get another job. So interesting question just popped up on TikTok. What exactly are my beliefs? At the deepest level, I believe that everything is a gift. That every single thing that happens is supposed to happen and that there is no bad news and that all things, no matter how painful and terrifying they are, are useful to me in some way. Really struggling on the wealth Enneagram. I get it. I'm having trouble on deciphering what belongs in two, five, and seven because I feel like they could essentially fit in more than one place. For example, my limitation is physically getting clients to book and pay my prices. I currently have my tools as establishing a solid inquiry process, establish a solid marketing plan, grow my audience, improve customer experience. All good. I suppose seven could be the actual client experience when they work with me, but then I'm still stuck on five. So seven would be presenting the client with the offer. And then five is when you actually like, do you have the book written already? If you do have the book written already for the customer to receive, that point five is right before the customer comes in. So point five could be the landing page, the sales page, the press opportunities. It could be the onboarding process. It could be the writing of the book. It could be the book proposal. But basically like what happens at point five is in between point four of you navigating the customer's limitations. So customer's limitations and then customer arriving. At point seven, they receive the product. The customer walks into the restaurant at point six. The customer gets their plate handed to them at point seven. So they get the book handed to them at point seven. At point four, you're like, they actually can't physically see the book or they don't have access to it. And so the press opportunities at point two, you're, you'd be like, okay, I need a solid marketing strategy. I need to line up all of these podcasts. I need to get these placements. I need to run these ads at point five. Then we would actually be setting all of those up. And then the client would be exposed to you at point six. They'd hear you on the podcast and then they'd get the offer for your actual book at point seven. These two things could occur as closely together as a customer walking into the restaurant and getting the food. Um, but the thing about a magical process is that you only, it's a moment and it's not a minute. So the homework step is completed when all of the work is done and not when you finish watching the video. Super key. If you want me to look over your Enneagram, of course, just take a picture of that Enneagram, put it in homework and I'll be there after this. Have you ever asked, been asked permission from someone to read your energy in a dream? It was semi-realistic. I kept saying no, but when I finally said yes, okay, and have I, so somebody, I just need to re-ask, reread this question and hope that I'm getting this right because it could go two ways. In a dream, a figure came to you and asked if they could read your energy or 
in real life, someone came to you and asked if they could read your energy in a dream. So let's see. It was semi-realistic. I kept saying no, but when I finally said yes, I heard my baby calling for me crying. When I woke up, anything was fine. A few days before this dream, I had meditated on putting up an energy shield to block negativity. I don't know. I can't seem to shake that dream. Like someone was trying to tap into all of my hard work. I feel asking this, but this is one of the only places I know to ask. Hey, totally fine. Um, You know, a book that you'll probably really like uh, is Psychic Self-Defense by Dion Fortune is really good. If this is something that you're, you're dealing with. When it comes to me, like I, I see all things as gifts fundamentally. Black magic only works on you if you have a fear of black magic. And I'm not afraid of the shadows. Like that shit doesn't work on me. <laughs> like that shit doesn't work on me. People could throw hexes on me all day long. And I'm like, you know, I just don't even think about it. But it used to be something that it used to be something that I had vulnerability to when I was teaching a lot about Ifa, and I was just met with so many people being like, "Black God doesn't speak to white people," and I get, I totally get that. But geez, the curses were like crazy, you know. And I've seen Ifa really go to work, but nothing because if you have a vulnerability like a paranoia of black magic or other people's energy, and and this is really like, oh, you know, when you're afraid of other people's energy, when you're afraid of like the unseen world it's really hard to prove some of these things you could just go like on and on and on about you know different ways when I did the exorcism on the guy that ghost hunter guy years ago it was the day I met my husband actually and and I was like all I need to do is meditate before I do this exorcism to make sure I'm safe and then I was like chatting up my husband the first day that I ever met him and uh, I didn't have any time to meditate and it was such a great lesson for me like all things are gifts Um, It was such a great lesson for me because I'm like, all that, like, I'm good. Like, I don't need to do anything to get God to like me. I don't need to do anything to have God's protection. I don't need to do, like, I'm not afraid of anything. I can go into whatever. But this guy was like 100% convinced. He had seen seven exorcists. And that's actually how I had met him was when I was assisting on an Ifa exorcism. And people ask me this a lot, like, you know, who's my elder and stuff in Ifa. I never had an elder I knew the very first priestess of Ifa because it wasn't allowed, women weren't allowed to study it. She's Cuban. And she saw me as an equal. She was like, you, and, and when there's like two witches that just fucking love each other that have been through the ringer, and I'm talking about like some fucked up ringer shit, like I'm talking about fucked up life. Her and I met and, and it's just so, you know, no one, one of my friends was trying to apprentice with her, but they just weren't on the level. You know, she had had like a super privileged life. She wanted to use magic as a way of having like more power. But when women have learned magic through desperation because their life required it and therapy doesn't work in psychedelics, you just need to witch it. Um, there's just like, it's such a love. It's like the goth love, you know, when two normal presenting people can have a big nerd out about like goth like goth goes so deep i don't know if i I don't know if i have any goth queens on here but like the goth love is so fucking real when you're like "Mm," you know like being the only goth at a party is like so hard you know and especially if you don't dress it but it's like your fucking soul i have a tattoo that says make america goth again like the love is fucking real for me and it's got the uh, it's got the psychic tv and the sisters of mercy symbols in there but the, the witch love is like the goth love where only you know only somebody that gets it really gets it So she saw me as an equal and she asked me to come and assist her on an exorcism. And I did it because I was like, I was like, exorcism, you know, it's so scary, a chicken sacrifice. I'm like, this whole, you know, it's going to be like three hours long. 
very, very intense, lots of ingredients, lots of things that could go. With a lot of ingredients, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. With a lot of steps, there's a lot of potential to miss a step. And that's why I teach the Enneagram as a form of ritual magic, because it's like, it's very easy to just follow the steps. And especially with like Solomonic magic or Yoruba magic, sometimes there's so many steps, like they have to read in a book, you know, when they throw the Opele, because there's so many different Orishas and there's so many ways that it could go wrong. It's nice to have something where you just follow the 10 step checklist and the 10 step checklist is the same every time. And then you know what corners you can cut and what corners you can't cut. So like if you would have had to like, you know, bake a loaf of bread with salt on top of it and put it in the West and you're like, do I really have to do that? If you have an objective 10 step checklist, you can see if it's actually something that you need that you need to do or not. So I love that. But her and I were just like, we're just equals. And so her and I became really close friends. And the, the kind of way it works with me in my life is like, I am best friends with whoever is in front of me, like for that moment in time, but I'm not a big pen paller. I'm not a big, you know, the, the type of people that have really been friends in my life are the type of people where there's no, uh, rhythm or rhyme to how we communicate you know it's like I reach out when they're in my head but there's never this it's always just picking up exactly where we left off um but it was really at that exorcism that I learned the exorcism that I was doing for this guy so he had he he did the seventh exorcism with my friend at Ifa. after that he was like so he was like I don't you know the demon's still here like well you know whole thing and he had like a very he, you know older man probably 65 years old with a shaved head. And he said that he could see the demon's face in the back of his head, but he just had like a really like, like he had like neck fat. So it did, you know, it could look like a face, but you know, my, my man had a chubby neck. So that was, I was like, it was a, a mental, a mental problem. And when it comes to the psychological, it's like, I always know in every situation why things are the way they are and what needs to be adjusted for them to come, for them to clear up. And part of this is just, you know, who I am and the gifts that I was born with. And the other part of this is just like an insane amount of data from being a bartender and listening to people's problems for like so long and learning more about psychology. But this is where, this is what I work with is the psychological. And so he, but he was convinced that he had gotten this demon from a black guy giving him a dirty look and it's like oh so you know, we got a little racism demon like okay okay I understand I understand this and it turns out that the guy you know he had been following this guy on Facebook and he was divorced and he was having a lot of sex and stuff all the things that that my the, that my client who needed the exorcism was dealing with now he felt like he got one like quote-unquote dirty look from this black guy on a motorcycle and now he was afflicted with all of the things that he was judging this guy for so I'm proud to say that I was his last exorcism but I'm not proud to say that I got a little cocky with the ease of how it all went down and I was like look you know if you want if you miss your demon now that he's gone and you want him back you know just call me and let me know and this guy was like very Christian you know so I was going to like introduce him to the world of like there's no gods there's no demons you know this is all coming from one source this is just a you know a chaotic energy that brings excitement to your life but he definitely wasn't ready for he called me you know a few weeks later it's like i miss my demon i said yeah no problem let me you know give you this conversation but if you wake someone up too fast it creates a split in their mind 
Um, and this split is called schizophrenia because schizo means split and phrenia is related to the mind. And the, the, the split, it's like when you notice too many, yes, you know, you're like, oh, I'm a good person, but I'm also a bad person. But that like times a thousand, which people get really often now on the internet because they are reading so many alternate realities and it becomes hard for them to hold these, you know, the earth is round, the earth is flat. It's hard for them to hold these conflicting realities at the same time. So schizophrenia is a split between between thinking, memory, personality, and perception. So instead of all of these different things, thinking, personality, memory, and perception, all of these things being joined by the common denominator, which is you, your thinking, your perception, your personality, your memory, there's a disconnect. That sense of self goes away, which is actually like a great symptom of enlightenment if you know how to deal with it. But if you don't know how to deal with it, you go into the psych ward and this can never be erased. It's just, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And I've seen this happen to two people that I'm really close with and they're just in and out of the, just in and out of the psych ward all the time. So when that common denominator of you gets ejected from the situation, it's, it's memory and who is it? And ideally we go, who is it? Is it the unknowable? Is it source? Is this, can I start identifying with this nothingness as opposed to needing it to be my thoughts, my perception, my personality, my memory? But this is very hard to do if you don't understand what's happening from a spiritual perspective. So when you wake up too fast, it creates schizophrenia. And I hope that it, I, 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 think, I think I might've fucked this guy up a little bit. He had, he's more grounded now, but, uh, you know, it's a little, I, I shouldn't have offered somebody that was so strictly Christian to bring their demon back, you know, but it, the exorcism had gone so well. So early days of my career, you know, I definitely have some regrets about that, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen him in a very long time. So now all of this to answer my girl's question, energy, like a dream's a dream, a dream's a dream. And in the fourth wave, they actually like don't take dreams very seriously at all. They say that it's just one center observing another. Um, but my preferred fourth way teacher was like a longtime protege of Jung. So he does care a lot about the dream state. My perpetual take on dreams is that it's just an x-ray of your emotional state. It's just an x-ray of your emotional state. So if you had this dream that's like, I, you know, somebody's trying to take my hard-earned energy, they actually can't do that. You can give it away and you can give it away by having beliefs that like someone could just come in and drain all of your energy. And, you know, there needs to be a boundary there. But a boundary is just as simple as being like, understanding that no one can steal anything from you. Like no one can take your energy. No one can, can steal it. You can just give it away. Even with something as dramatic as rape, like, yes, somebody could go in and forcibly remove all of your boundaries, but you do not have to lose power to that forever. Like just because they took away this painfully and horribly, it's happened to me. I get it. But they can never steal your power. They can never steal your power. You can always regain that. You can always get it back. Yeah, it's hard work, but you signed up for it before you came to this life. And so anytime we take responsibility for something that happens to us, we get the power back. Anytime we blame somebody else and say, there's no way I had nothing to do with this. This is not part of a cosmic plan. This person, you know, 
put them away, et cetera, et cetera. Like even if they get the maximum penalty, you still feel like shit. And, and I, I don't care about what people like hearing or not. I care about actually feeling better. So if you take responsibility for it, you feel better right away. But no one, no one can take your power, not a dream, not a healer, not a black magic. But if, it, but if, if you want to like get more deep into this, the best way to make sure that you're impervious to black magic is to know how it works. And so Psychic Self-Defense by Dion Fortune is a, a good research point for that. Just don't let it make you paranoid that people are like hexing you. Or you could uh, read The Secret... I'm actually not allowed to say the name of this book online, but I'll, I'll respond it to you right here in the chat. And if you guys want to read this, you can do the free two-week trial of Safe House. This is in the autoerotic Q&A thread, and you will be able to find it there. But I'm not allowed to say that book online. I'm just not. There are laws. <laughs> there are laws. And psychic self-defense is by Dion Fortune, who I absolutely love. My friend here says, new age is demonic, guys. So one of my teachers, Idris Shaw, says it never really matters what someone is saying, it's how they're saying it. So we have somebody in the comments that is giving us a warning that this conversation is demonic, but they're sitting in for the conversation, which means that they're a really big fan of demons and are feeling conflicted about how interested they are and what they've termed to be demonic. And everything would be a lot easier for them if they weren't categorizing things in the level one dualistic sense of gods and demons. But instead, they're contributing to their own paranoia because they have decided that this conversation is really bad, yet they can't help but sit in for the whole conversation and comment on it. So this is just indicative of the level. It doesn't really matter, you know, what someone is saying. It's how they're saying it. And this person is going to have kind of a hard time until they realize how much they love this kinky, demonic conversation. <laughs> all love, all love. Takes one to know one. I've been there. <laughs> Let's do the next question. I have a question that may be more related to one of or your other workshops and not autoerotic wealth. Do you offer any teaching in autoerotic wealth or other workshops related to healing attachment style? In my reflections and since starting AEW, I've realized that I'm avoidantly attached and I'm feeling drawn to heal this. I, I, don't, I don't teach anything about the attachment style, but it was a total light bulb moment when somebody was like, you know, anxious attachment. I'm like, oh my God, that's me. I had a super anxious attachment to money. Um, but for me, the mantra, like secure attachments only has been just being aware of it for me was just being aware that like I have an anxious attachment style and being aware of when, uh, something that I'm feeling is a result of this ancient attachment style. And then I just remind myself that I'm doing secure attachments only being aware that that's what you're doing is enough to help you change the behavior. Hi, Onami. I'm having some doubts in terms of autoerotic three. Everyone's at point three on autoerotic right now. So it's like, I got to stop. Oh, you know, I got to stop. Um, quick question on TikTok. How did I quit smoking weed? Someone called CPS on me for smoking weed. It, there, I would have never had a good excuse to quit smoking weed. I was doing consulting for a cannabis company, was getting like the best free product. I was about to get a weed leaf tattooed on my neck. And then someone called CPS on me for smoking weed. And I finally had a reason to stop. And I'm so happy. I haven't smoked weed since. It was like a year and a half ago. 
Um, but everybody's on point three of autoerotic wealth right now, which is the hard part. This is where like you really feel like you can't do it because it's the part where, where you actually need to change, where you need to be like, okay, I'm fucking doing this. I know it's hard, but I can learn. I'm capable. But this is where your self-concept the negative self-concept has to be destroyed. It has to go passive. This can't rule your life anymore. So I'm having some doubts in autoerotic three where we need to find the, jo- the zone of genius by the line of correspondence related to the business task. I was able to identify for the farm. However, for the tarot business, it's a little bit harder. Let me go back to her question. Um, the tarot business is something that I'm just starting. So how do I go about for that? Would appreciate your clarity on this. Also, there are so many tools that I need to know. Do you happen to know any resources related to running ads and also to grow YouTube subscriptions? I need to tag someone in here as well because she's really good at, there we go, I'm going to tag her there because I think that there's a market for her on this. Um, so when it comes to zone of genius, when it is, so for the farm, it's really easy for my queen here because this is a business with which she's more familiar. She has more data points for what success feels like for her on the farm. However, the farm isn't like really what she's wanting to, to do right now. So when it comes to the tarot business, have you, you have had moments that felt really successful with the tarot business. You have had moments that have felt really successful with the tarot business. So you can do it. It's just going to be a little bit hazier. Um, but think of all of the things that you're doing in regards to running a tarot business. So learning about the cards, doing spreads for yourself, doing spreads for other people, booking readings, creating payment platforms. And if you haven't done any of these yet, then you can use that reverse engineer method that we, that we teach you in that same lesson where just the, the three moments where you felt the most successful with tarot. So for example, the first time that you were able to read your own cards without looking anything up. The first time someone asked you to read for them and it was a really successful reading. Um, The first time, you know, whatever it is, the first time you posted about it online. But there are that, you know, it might not feel like the end all be all success simply because you've never gone full time on it before. It hasn't become a viable enough income stream to go from being your side hustle to your main gig. And and that's what we're working with here in in autoerotic and wealth. Um, But just identifying when you felt the most successful with these things and then what is it that contributed to that success? So the first time you were able to read your cards without having to look up what the meanings meant, what did you do that allowed you to do that? Was that doing daily spreads? Was that doing a card a day? Was that reading a certain book, studying? Was that, how did that come across? And if you want me to check your homework on this, just put this in the homework chat. I'm also a little stuck at the zone of genius, mostly because I'm not scaling and doing it backwards has me a little confused. No problem. Oh, I'm sorry. That reminds me that I need to answer her questions on so many tools that you need to know. Look, there's a lifetime path. There's so many tools that I need to know. I have for my Monday through Friday, every single day of the week, there's a different thing that I have to study and just like focus on studying the whole entire time. Um, Now running ads, it's like running ads where? So for YouTube ads, I did Founder. Um, I did the the $1,500 Tommy Powers course on that. 
for running Facebook ads. I also did founder with oh, Nick Shackelford, such a fucking tech bay. Oh my God. I think he's so cute. Um, running Instagram ads. I also did founder and they have a, that was another $1,500 course, but they have like a streaming thing now where I'm pretty sure that you can get all of their courses, which are really useful. They have, you, you can browse, um, what they're all related to. But then my Facebook account got banned. Right now, for $10,000, I'm studying a new type of ads, which is called sponsorships, which basically uh, it's instead of you know buying ads from a platform, you buy a platform from a creator. So for example, I find a creator that's doing newsletters that has an audience pretty similar to mine. And then I ask them if I can put an ad in their newsletter and, and reach a highly targeted set of individuals. It's tricky. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I've spent 10 grand on an online course with no personal you know, touch points to learn how to do this. So it's really like, where do you want to study it? And then also for advertising, I've taken a lot of, I read a lot of books on it. Positioning by Al Rees. Um, Al Rees is a good author when it comes to advertising. Um, the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, also his focus is also his, but I haven't read that one. It's on my shelf. Um, and then I've also took the masterclass on advertising from the Budweiser Frogs guys, which is on the masterclass app. And then I tagged somebody in this post who is really, she grew, she, she's taken courses and stuff on this. She's really good. And I might be hiring her for mine, but I tagged her in the question that you just asked here because she, she's grown a YouTube pretty fast to like 55,000 members. And that's so much for YouTube because people on YouTube really stay with you. So there, there's some tools for that there. All right. My homie here says, I'm a little stuck at the zone of genius, mostly because I'm not scaling and doing it backwards has me a little bit confused. So when we did the zone of genius, and let me just, so that my friend knows where he's showing up here. I'm just writing uh, the number of like the minute so that they can find where their answer is. I forgot to do this for a lot of people, but when I can, I, I do. So when we did the zone of genius, if you're just building and you don't have any business to say, when were my most successful moments in this business? Um, you could, there's a couple ways that you could do this. You could do this for, you could do this for um, like your spiritual journey when have been the best moments in your spiritual journey. Or you could just go with successful moments in your whole life, period like when you felt the most successful, but I think spiritual journey for you specifically, because I know you, um, I would do spiritual journey. Like what have been the most successful moments that you've had on your spiritual journey and what directly contributed to that? And you've done a lot of cool things. Your moon circles are really cool. The breakthroughs that you've had are really cool. Even just going, you know, to be as self-expressed as you are, like that actually means something because so many people are totally locked up and you're very, very free. It's like something that people would love to learn from you, I'm sure. Uh, but relating these moments of success on your spiritual journey and what directly contributed to that, what were you doing that contributed to that and how can we do more of it? All right, last question. 
How does one, this is a question that I get the most often, and I don't know if I can answer this online, but how does one perform an alchemical marriage? You mentioned in the recent podcast how you and Magic got alchemically married, and I'm curious about how you went to performing that ritual and what resources you drew from to construct it. Uh, The reason why I don't share this online publicly is, first of all, it's a secret. Second of all, I'm not really sure that it was like necessary. I'm not really sure that it was necessary. Like it didn't involve drinking. I'm going to have to answer this for you. I can't, I can't say this on, on a live stream. The reason why I can't say this on a live stream with people that aren't in this conversation about sex magic is that like everybody's going to like turn around and do it right away. And this has been used in, in a negative way for so long <laughs> that I just don't want, but I'll, I'll answer this question to completion here in the chat. And if you want to find out what I said, then all you have to do is try the two week free trial of Safe House Global. You can do that at the link in my bio. This is in the autoerotic Q and A. You have two weeks to browse around, to look at things. And it's $180 a month when that's over. But I send you, as long as you're, you, you make sure to check your junk, you have a lot of check-ins and payment reminders and stuff for me. So it's not like this is just gonna be sprung on, sprung on you. So go ahead and check it out. But this is one that I'm gonna have to answer via text. So I wanna thank you all so much for being here. I love this Q&A. You guys will be able to catch the replay of this on my YouTube as well as on my app, Safe House Global. If you wanna try anything with zero commitment, no two-week free trial, no nothing, you can always go to my app, Safe House Global. You can download that app. And if you are like old school and you don't like doing app stuff, then you can always just go to safehouse.passion.io and you can have that experience on there. And also you just go to discover, you get a free account, but I'd recommend trying the two week free trial and you can find these these answers in the autoerotic Q&A. All right. Love you guys so much. This is so much fun. See you later. Bye. Bye. Oh, you know what? Hang on one second. Let me answer a couple questions on, on TikTok because I just love, but I just want to add a couple of odd things. Um, 10, mo- 10 months postpartum in my stuckness in myself and relationship thoughts. This is just a part of the journey is just a part of the journey. You need to acknowledge that you're super overtouched, super overstimulated right now, that you're very busy. But the best thing that you can do is start to, the the pleasure in life is connected to the libido. So when you're just doing baby things all day, every single day, there it's never coming up of like, what do you actually want to do? You, not mommy, but like you, what would you like to do today? And doing your best to just do that one thing every day and making it a priority for yourself. As your life starts to become more pleasurable, the libido will start to come back. You'll start to feel like yourself again. It's just there's been zero space for your own pleasure, just like doing what needs to be done, getting the dinner on the table, getting the baby taken care of, doing the dishes and shit like that. I am captivated by your beauty. Me too. Your aura radiates like the sun on a cold day. Oh my God, I love it. Thank you so much. I don't, and like, I've been wondering, you know, I'm like, do I need to wear makeup? Should I start doing other things with like my life and my hair? But I just love the wild. I love the wild look. I always feel very strange when like my hair is, I tried doing my hair for a while and I just felt like I looked like a fucking anchor woman. And when I wear makeup, I feel like it makes me look really tired. I'm 32 with severe trauma history. I want a relationship, but it seems impossible. Advice. Yes. 
my workshop wheels reinvented is all about clearing childhood trauma once and for all like for just doing and not getting stuck in the inner child work forever this is a workshop that you could do you'd have a hell of a couple of weeks but you could totally blitz through this workshop for two weeks by taking that free trial and just do that don't get distracted with anyone anything else that's how you would do that um next one this person says, I see a symbol on your hand. It's an Enneagram. Do I believe in God? Yes. Face tattoos are always a good decision. That's right. Um, what's my dream job? I'm doing it all of the time. But my other dream job would be to either be like a lighting designer or a DJ or a skydiving instructor. You're literally the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Oh my God, the comments are lit. I'm so happy I came back here. I love hearing me talk about business. Thank you so much because so many people are like, I want to do the business. I don't give a shit. Am I a fire sign? No, I'm an earth sign. That's why you can't argue with me. Um, I would love a story about my home births. If you want to share, it wasn't just home births. It was free births. It was free births. But I believe that you can see both of these on, I, I don't know if I have, let me just see. Wiley May free birth. I think it might've gotten deleted with my YouTube. Yeah, it did. But I on my old YouTube, you can see uh, if you look up Reiner free birth, Reiner on videos, then you would see it. I, I, I'll put it. It's on my it's on my old YouTube. Um, it's on my old YouTube. I'll, you know what I'll do? If you go onto YouTube and you look up this live stream that I'm doing, I'll put that link in in the comments because it's on like another it's, it's on another one of my channels. It's got like 11,000 views, but I don't really know how to pull it over. And the quality is so bad. But the reason why we shot it like that is because I shared my story with Free Birth Society and I hated the way that they edited it. And the woman made a rude comment about my husband not knowing where the cervix is, as if some man is supposed to know where your fucking cervix is. And I was just like, excuse me, like you can talk shit on every other man on this podcast, but like, I won't stand for that. You're not going to speak about my fucking husband that way. Take this podcast down right now. And she wouldn't take the, and she wouldn't take the podcast down. And so I told her, God, it's an amazing resource. Hey, own girl, especially for you, own girl, especially for you. I'm trying to show up with consistency on Q and a, especially for you. A free birth is not having any doctors, no midwives. And I did an unassisted pregnancy as well. We did this with both of our children. Um, but free birth society is such an amazing resource, but they're always like talking shit about the men and they don't understand that like men are scared of birth and that's okay. But that like education heals fear. They just make fun of men for being scared. And it's like, of course they're going to be scared. They want to help. They're not scared because they're pussies. They're scared because they love you and they love the baby and they want you to be okay. But they're just so fucking rude to men. And so I told she wouldn't take the podcast down. And it was the pilot episode of the new season. And I said, if you don't care about my story, all you care about is your narrative and you don't care about my free birth or our experience of it at all. All you care about is your narrative. What makes you any different from the doctors that you are trash talking every single day? If you don't care about the mother, you just care about your agenda when it comes to my birth. And within five minutes, she had the podcast taken down. I said, thank you. Birth is only scary because we equate birth to like what we see in movies and there are no movies where births go well. Like just think about fucking uh, House of Dragons where it's just like traumatic birth. There's only traumatic births in that whole thing, you know? 
stillborns and four C-sections and all of these things. And like, that's not true. Like birth is not a medical emergency. It's very, it's natural. It's something that like you, you don't do it. It happens to you. You don't have to do birth. If you forgot all about how to have birth, like think about how many women, like look up Tiana Taylor, who I just found out that her and Iman Shumpert are broken up. That makes me so sad because for both of her, she had free births both times too, because both times she just thought that she had to go poop. She wasn't trying to birth. She wasn't doing Lamaze. She wasn't hypnobirthing. She wasn't doing anything like that. She thought she was taking a shit and instead she had a baby. And when people have cryptic pregnancies or are obese and don't know that they're pregnant, these people are always having these like four, five hour births, 30 minute births, getting on the toilet, taking a shit, and it turns out to be a baby. Like when you're not psyching yourself up about how crazy birth is going to be, you don't know what's happening to you and you don't make a big deal out of it. Like this is what's amazing to me. I had a 40 hour labor and a 46 hour labor. And if I had had these labors in a hospital setting, I would have without a doubt been cut open because they say that any labor that's over them than 40 hours is failure to progress. And they give you a C-section, which is fucked up. They just don't want you in the hospital for that long. I'm like, luckily my sister had had two 72 hour births. So I just knew that it could take a really long time, but I was like, I'm so happy that I had that experience at home, but I I was counting my birth from like the very first contraction. I was like, oh, you know, here's the first contraction. Let me see what time it is. Let me start timing them. Like I'm in labor now. It should be over soon. It was fucking days, days. But if I didn't know that I was pregnant, I'd be like, ooh, I got a little stomach ache, you know? And then I'd go on with my life. And then 10 minutes I go, ooh, I got a little stomach ache. So, and a lot of people, like a lot of people I know, no shade to anybody that's had, you know, like an alternate birth, but you know, it it, it fucking hurts. Like, of course it hurts. And the reason why men were usually not there because men would, men would make you feel like you were the only person that had ever like hurt this much. But typically there were like midwives there who had attended a lot of births or had a lot of their own births and could just tell you that like, yeah, it's totally normal for it to hurt. It's totally normal for it to hurt. But I know so many people that were like, I was in active labor for 60 hours. No, you weren't because then your baby's head would have been like this long. Active labor is like when it's the baby's actually like coming out and in the birth canal and you're fully dilated. Yeah, the contractions really hurt. If you had a midwife there, they'd be like, yeah, it's totally normal for this to hurt, but it's, it's not possible to be in active labor for 60 hours. And yes, with my first son, I had a contraction every four minutes from the beginning to the end with my daughter. I just had, it was like all over the fucking place. There was no, it was all over the place until the the very end. Like, I mean, like I'd have a contraction and then it'd be three hours without a contraction. And then it'd be like every seven minutes it'd be fucking all over the place. And so that was, uh, that was that, but it's normal for it to hurt. And if you think it's, if you think it's normal, if you think that it's not supposed to hurt and you're just like lying on your back being like, why is this happening to me? Like you have to change the power dynamic and be like, I'm seeking out contractions and birth teaches you to seek out pain. You're like, yes, this is going to hurt like crazy, but instead of running from it or lying on my back, hiding from it, I'm going to try and make more contractions happen so that this can be over faster. Like I'm going to seek it out and it changes you. And this is why there's been such an agenda to, to teach. Nobody can steal birth from you but you can give it away 
Nobody can steal your woman powers, but you can give it away. You can opt into a birth control that makes you have a period four times a year because you think that bleeding is inconvenient. You can opt for inductions or C-sections or all of these other things that make you think that a doctor saved your life when actually you were giving life and you didn't need to be saved. You could fucking get talked in the fact that breastfeeding is inconvenient and feed your baby fucking powder and water when you're producing perfectly good milk because somebody convinced you that it's inconvenient or unfair to feed your baby with the milk that you've been given. Fucking bullshit. Pisses me off. It pisses me off because they call all of this feminism. Yeah, well, you know, I hate seeing these fucking posts about, about people talking about how great it is to bottle feed. Well, then everyone can help with the feeding. If your goddamn husband was supposed to help with the goddamn feeding, he'd have a pair of goddamn tits. You know? And it's not that, yeah, I know what it's like to be breastfeeding all the fucking time. I also know what it's like to be the sole breadwinner living remotely, 100% responsible for the financial stability of the household while realizing that even though the agreement was that my husband was going to take care of the kids, he would not be able to take care of the kids because he doesn't have tits. But all of that taught me that I can make a shit ton of money in a very small amount of time because women are fucking magic like that. But you're just handing your rights away left and right because someone comes up with feminism fucking tattooed on their forehead and convinces you to give up your birth and your period and your breastfeeding and your softness and your beauty because these things aren't feminist. Fucking horseshit. Propaganda. I fucking hate it. Yeah. I hate that they call it feminism. Where are my kids now with my husband? They're at the hardware store getting new hatchets. Yeah. They're at the hardware store getting new hatchets. My daughter, it's giving Gemini energy. Thank you. What made me get a forehead tattoo? So I had always wanted, I knew that I was going to get this word. Um, Gentleness, I was told that it was a solution for all of my life's problems, past, present, and future. But I was, you know, I was like, I'll really be in business for myself now. And one of the first dates that my husband and I went on was we got our faces tattooed. And yo, when I say that, like, I never really felt, I used to be a priestess that wore the crescent moon on my forehead. So this looks a lot like what I used to wear, but I never really felt beautiful until I, until I, I got this. It was like very, very beautiful for me. And I love it because when men ask me what it says, you know, and I, I, I get the douchey vibe from them. I always tell them that it says gentlemen instead of gentleness. And I love seeing their eyes just reel when they try and figure out if I'm trans or not. It's so fun. While in hypnosis, I was in no pain at all. When the head was coming out, I felt a little pain. Yeah, I felt pain like the whole way through. But with my daughter, it was much worse because I was very angry because she arrived on the first day of my maternity leave. And I thought that she was born on December 4th. And I thought that she was going to be born around the 21st of December. And I had just finished writing my book that morning. And I really wanted to decorate my house for Yule. And I really wanted to have, you know, because I just worked my ass off the whole pregnancy. And I was hoping to have a little rest before going from one baby to two two babies. Um, so I was really angry, which was like stalling. And I, I noticed it in myself. So I was saying like, fuck shit, bitch. You know, I was like swearing a lot. And, uh, and I was like, this isn't me, you know, like why, what am I so angry about? And then I realized that the anger was sadness because I really, I was really tired and I felt like I was never going to have a break. And then that sadness really, you know, I let that sadness really pass through. And then I started praying a lot. I was like, you know, God, you have to help me. 
And that's when I learned that God does childcare and that there's all types of, and that really once, once I had that mental shift and I released all of that, you know, stagnant emotion that I was just repeating from stuff I heard in, you know, movies. Yeah, it's great to, you know, curse when you're, it doesn't help. And it was stalling up the whole birth. But once I let that anger defrost into sadness and then really let that sadness go and acknowledged how sad and how tired I was, then I had, you know, I, I was in a new state of mind. I put my, my Ali Farka Toure music on and I just bounced that baby out. I said, I'm not fucking sitting down till I get this baby out and that whole labor I was like holding my son you know trying to get I was with my fucking two-year-old the whole time so it was definitely really intense and then right when the baby was coming out we had a friend of ours that was staying with us um she was like doing some it was we were trying out a nanny for a little bit but that's like really not our style but at like 5 a.m because my son had been up all night so at 5 a.m. I was like, the baby was coming. I was like, oh, we got to go. I need, I need my husband's undivided attention. So we fucking gave my son a melatonin gummy, brought the, put the nanny in bed with him. I said, okay, we're just going to go down to the bathroom for 90 minutes. And both my kids were, in the, were born in the bathroom. <laughs> go off. I'm currently reading Portal at 39 weeks pregnant and learning all of what you're saying. Oh, I'm so excited to read that book. If I have another baby, I'll definitely read it. I, uh, and I'm so happy that like Yo has learned about, I have a very weird connection with Yolanda because my, so my fiance that that is so strange, um, but my fiance that died, he was telling me like when we first got together that his ex-wife had a friend that reminded him a lot of me and my fiance that died he and I knew each other for 10 years. When he got married, I knew, I knew his ex, couldn't stand her. And everyone actually called her, my name at the time was Holly. Everyone called her Holly too, because she was like, you know, it seemed like me. Uh, but he had said that, that through her, he had heard of this woman and he didn't tell me her name or anything like that, but he was like, they're really cool. They're like ex punks, they punks, they run a pottery studio and they have like a bunch of kids, but that's how they support themselves. And he's like, I think that you would do something really cool like that. And he told me this story about this woman. He, he was like, this is why this woman reminds me so much of you is that they were taking a family trip to the Grand Canyon, but her and her husband got in an argument on a way to the Grand Canyon and when they got to the Grand Canyon, she was so mad that she like refused to look at it. She wouldn't look at it. And he was like, this reminds me a lot of you because I'm like very, very stubborn like that. And I loved that, you know, I loved that vibe. And then fast forward years later, I, you know, hear about Bauhaus wife and I'm following her. And as I learn more about her life, I'm like, oh, you know, they live in BC and they had, you know, all these kids in a pottery studio. So I sent her an, yeah, a DM and I was like, by any chance did your husband take you to the Grand Canyon and you refused to look at it because you were in a fight. And she was like, oh my God, yes. Like, how do you know this? I said, it's so funny. But my late fiance was always saying that, you know, that he, we reminded, that you reminded him a lot of me or whatever. So that's like the, the weird connection. I don't really have a connection with the Free Birth Society ladies because of course I told them to take my podcast down. But I'm a, I, I, I stand that housewife and I'm so happy that she understands what it means to be a projector now because the bitterness was really like tainting her brand, you know, when she was posting from a place of bitterness, which is of course the not self theme of the projector. But now that she understands, you know, the importance of a projector nap and, and being in herself, which is success and admiring all the success that she's created for herself instead of being bitter that people don't understand her. I think that she's just becoming like more and more refined. 
Every time my daughter breastfed during labor, contractions went from 10 to 15 minutes apart to one to two minutes. Ugh, the stimulation, right? I'm so bad. You're like, I want to have, you know, like, could this be the ingredients for an orgasmic birth? But I, the gist of portal, you know, you know well, I mean, I don't know, but the gist of orgasmic birth is that pain and pleasure are not different sensations. And you can totally work with this now. Like if you do a hundred, you know, do 200 squats or do 200 hip thrusts. And as the pain starts to become very big, isolate where the pain is. Instead of thinking like, oh, this is a pain throughout my whole body, recognize that it's just a pain in a very specific part of your leg. And then cut out that voice that's in your head that's saying, I can't do this anymore more like when you need to quit you'll quit but you don't need to quit right now you could go on a little bit further you could do this when you were running as well you can also do this during birth like don't say you can't take it because you're taking it don't let the inner voice tell you that you can't handle something that you're clearly handling you're doing a great job you're handling two kids you're handling all of this don't let the voice tell you you can't handle something you're handling because you're fucking handling it so don't listen to that voice you get rid of that voice and then right when you think you can't handle the pain anymore, you send breath there and you find that there is new space to be able to hold that sensation, which is now reduced to just a sensation and you're not calling it pain or pleasure. It's just an intense sensation. Now you do the same thing when we're working, when we're working with sex magic and hopefully I've taught uh, people how to do this, but if not, I'm going to need to make a note about it for erotic wealth is that when you are when you're reaching the peak of an orgasm, you take a deep breath and then you find that there's more, you know, you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to come. I couldn't possibly handle any more pleasure. And you learn how to take a deep breath there and be able to handle more pleasure. You can handle more and when you can handle more pleasure in the symbol of sex magic, then you can handle more pleasure in your life. So the same way that breath creates more space to tolerate pain, breath creates more space to tolerate pleasure and the orgasm is like the end of the pleasure. When you can't handle the pleasure anymore, you say, boom, I'm done. I got to cut, like, I'm, I'm donezo. And that orgasm, the typical ejaculation orgasm, represents the end of the pleasure. You couldn't take it, so you had to end it. And it's the feeling of that bubble bursting, and it feels like relief, but the pleasure has actually ended. But with breath, you can learn how to extend that pleasure and be able to, to handle more of it. And the capacity for pleasure and the capacity for pain are equal. These aren't opposite. These aren't, you know, opposites. They're two sides of one coin, and that coin is called sensation. Extreme pleasure, extreme pain. It's really all the same. It's not in your whole body. It's in one spot of your body. And with breath, you, you have a greater capacity for it. So thank you so much for that, for that question because um, that's something that I wanted to add into this most upcoming lesson of autoerotic. Okay, love you guys so much and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for such a great time over here. La, 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 love you. Bye.